But the cross is God's veiled unveiling. It's his absence presence. It's heaven, but dressed up like hell. Welcome to the Bethany Lutheran Sermon Podcast for the week of December 19th, 2021. It's the fourth Sunday in Advent, and today, Pastor Seth Mormon shares a message about serving passionately based on Micah chapter 5. The key verses are in the show notes. This message was recorded live at Bethany. We're just a few short days away from Christmas. How many of you still have some shopping left to do? Yeah, probably, yeah, I'm, yeah me too, I don't know. Uh, it seems like the days seem to, to run up uh, amongst us, even though Christmas celebration seems to be starting earlier and earlier. It is the most anticipated holiday in our culture, and I'm sure you probably made some, some big plans. Perhaps you've decorated your home. Maybe it was Clark Griswold style outside. Maybe it's a little bit more subdued. Perhaps you have uh, decorated the inside of your house as well. I don't know all of the things that you have in there. Uh, But a lot of people make a big deal about Christmas. Perhaps you are traveling to go see some family or friends and maybe you haven't traveled in a long time. Or perhaps you're welcoming some family and friends to your house, some who you haven't seen in maybe years. And all of this preparation and expectation are part of the season. And in fact, it is a good thing in the season of Advent, that season of preparation, that season of expectation to to do a number of these things. But perhaps there are some that maybe have gone a little too far. Perhaps we have focused on the the grandiose nature of Christmas. You might be one who thinks that all of the preparations need to be just perfect, that you have worked and you have worked and you have been putting hours and hours in on, on decorating or baking or planning or preparing, and that this year has got to be the best year. Now, we all want Christmas to be awesome. We want it to, to be over the top, to be one for the, for the record books, ones that we remember, and, and it's unforgettable. But perhaps many of us have given in to the hype of the season. Now, especially last year, right? Last year, a lot of our celebrations were a little bit more subdued. Maybe we didn't travel or we didn't uh, decorate as much. We didn't have the the big uh, party that we usually had. And and this year, it's going to be different. And we're going to do the biggest thing we have ever imagined. Now, we all like to dream big. In fact, uh, our American culture is all about finding that next big thing, looking up to find the latest and the greatest, the brightest and the best. And in it all, perhaps maybe we have lost what Christmas is all about. You know, many of us have made it our ambition to not let Uh, um, Christmas define us, but all too often we fall into the hole of, well, letting Christmas define us. You know, perhaps we need to make it our ambition to not let the awesome define our lives, to dictate our relationships, 
to weigh the importance of who we are or to, to guide us in discerning how and where God might be found in this season. Now, it doesn't mean we need to lower our expectations. So don't go home and take all your Christmas decorations down. That's not what I'm saying. But perhaps we need to lower our gaze. Instead of looking up to the next best thing, perhaps we need to look down and see the blessings of our daily life. The children God has given us, the, the spouse that might be by your side. Perhaps we look to our aging parents, to those who are suffering, to our dear friends, to those who might need a little bit of help this season. It seems to be all those things that we miss when we're always looking to the brightest and the best. We keep looking for the next big thing and we miss what God has already put right in front of us. So perhaps instead of looking to the high and the mighty, in the glitz and the glamour of the holiday celebration, perhaps we look down to the seemingly small and insignificant. It's what our text is getting after today. You heard John read it. Uh, Pat had a, had a great message for us as well from the Old Testament prophet Micah. You, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, you are too small to be included among Judah's cities. Yet from you, Israel's future leader and ruler will come for me. His origins go back to the distant past, to days long ago. Now it's true, Bethlehem was no Jerusalem. It was a small and insignificant town. There's a reason we sing, O little town of Bethlehem. It never grew into a bustling metropolis. It was never filled with thousands and thousands of people. In fact, the prophet Micah says that it was not even included on the list of the brightest and the best, the biggest or the busiest. No, this little town of Bethlehem was small and insignificant. Just a, a place where one might lie down their head. It is interesting to, to note that this small little town was actually a, a place of some pretty important things. In the daily devotion that I've been reading this year called Unveiling Mercy, writer and Hebrew scholar Chad Bird wrote the following just a couple of days ago uh, in the devotion. Bethlehem's Old Testament reputation is a mixed bag. Two dark stories from Judges involve periods or involve people from Bethlehem. The first story ends in rank idolatry and a bloody massacre, and the other in gang rape and dismemberment. But the narrative of Ruth and the birth of David also take place there. But one fact is certain. Bethlehem had no weight to throw around. It had no military or political muscles to flex. It was a runt. In Micah's words, it was the smallest, the youngest, the littlest, with a connotation of being insignificant. Populous and important Jerusalem, about six miles away, overshadowed this village full of ordinary people doing ordinary Israelite things. Even in the good stories of Bethlehem, we, we see the, the small and the weak and the insignificant take over center stage. 
the prophet Samuel goes to a man named Jesse in Bethlehem to try to anoint the next king. And he says, bring out your sons, and one of them I'm going to anoint as king. So Jesse trots all of the boys out. He brings the biggest and the brightest and the best of his sons. And to each one, the Lord says to Samuel, not that one, not that one, not that one. Jesse had brought the biggest and the best and the brightest, and the Lord said, no. So Samuel asked Jesse, do you have another son? Is there one that maybe isn't here? And he says, well, there's, there's the little boy, the youngest. You know, he's out watching the sheep, but you don't really want to see him, do you? He's just a small little runt of a boy. There's no way that God could be choosing him. But we know the story, don't we? David is the one whom the Lord had chosen, the, the smallest, the weakest, the most insignificant in, in Jesse's family. And he goes on to do some mighty things, to slay the giant and to become the greatest king in Israel. And I think it's pretty fitting then that the God who, who has a thing for the mundane chose, chooses Bethlehem then to be the home of the son of David, the son of God, the ruler and king of Israel, the savior of the Lord, because we have a Lord who cloaks his glory in the ordinary. When we look down, when we stop looking at the high and the mighty, we discover that our God is a God of the lowlands transfigured by simplicity and suffering. He prefers to sit with the lonely and weep with the mourner and even wander the halls of the hospitals and ICU. And in the nowhere town of Bethlehem, a Savior is born. A Savior who would come and to serve. One who would come and to serve, and it happens to come in a completely unexpected way. Every way you think God is going to operate in this story, he seems to do the opposite. A virgin is with child. Her betrothed uh, brings her to the small backwater town of Bethlehem, and when they're there, it happens to be that there's no room for them to stay, so they are cast off with the animals. Soon she gives birth to a baby, and she places him in a feeding trough, because there's no other place to put him. In our minds, this is no way and no place for a king to be born. But our God is a God who cloaks his glory in the ordinary. And when that baby would grow up, the, the glory of him shines brightly, but not in the way that we might expect. The glory of God shines brightly upon a man who is hung upon a cross, left for dead. Soldiers gambling for his clothing. His closest friends have run away. His fiercest enemies spit insults upon him. And even a fellow condemned mocks him. And in that scene, there, there's nothing, not one iota of obvious God stuff going on at Calvary. In fact, it looks like hell. 
Not one person would walk outside of Jerusalem to this spot of public execution, stand at the foot of that man's cross, look up and say, well, there is the glory of the Almighty. There is the unveiling of the God and how God works and how God comes to us. And in fact, many who were there would say, this looks like the devil's work. But the cross is God's veiled unveiling. It's his absence presence. It's heaven, but dressed up like hell. Instead of looking for God in the high and the mighty things of this world, you will always find him tucked into the small crevices of life. He swims in the tears of the widow. He's enthroned upon a small piece of bread that is in your hands that comes from the altar. He is found laughing in the small child's voice as they play in the sandbox. Instead of waiting to be wowed by God in mighty displays of omnipotence, you'll always find his power compressed into the weak, unimpressed, unimpressive vessels like you and like me. In words of the weak and the lowly and the insignificant. In the words of a teacher and the works of a neighbor. Book after book from Genesis to Revelation, God demonstrates that he, he shuns the high and the mighty for the low and the insignificant. The Lord chooses losers to win, the last to be first, the ugly to be gorgeous, the simple to contain the profound, and he slips into our world in a most unexpected way. He conquered the cosmos by suffering defeat and death. He made his life our life by letting humanity murder him on a cross. And he did the impossible by rising from the dead to forgive the sin of the world, your sins and mine. You see, God does not work the way that we expect him to work. He sends the ill-qualified to do his work. He continues to send men and women, children into our lives to show us who he really is. People who, who don't seem to meet the, the world's qualifications, but definitely meet his. He is delighted to use us to serve others. To serve it in simple and mundane ways that shows that it's not by brain power or by brawn, but by the spirit of the Lord working in his people that our God serves. Serves through me, serves through you. It's how the Father gets things done. You see, he hides himself in plain sight in our world, on our streets, in the back alleys and the warehouses, the boardrooms that look nothing like God's hangouts. And he sinks himself into our unglamorous lives so that he might do what he does best, that is give, love, serve, help, and pray. It's in those little things where we find some of the greatest service. Pouring cereal for a sleepy child before they head off to school. Driving a delivery truck to keep businesses rolling. Visiting a, a friend who is laid up in the hospital. 
sitting beside one and praying for those who are mourning the loss of a dearly loved one. These seemingly little things are divine deeds over which the angels rejoice. The evening news is never going to report on them. You're never going to see the list of them in the church bulletin. There's not going to be a YouTube video that goes viral about them. Yet, that's their hidden beauty. Unnoticed by earth, applauded by heaven. To us, they they seem natural and maybe almost boring. But to God, they are his humble way in which service happens. Happens in a world that might be blinded by bigger and better and bolder. You see, the mystery of God is where God is found is where he's not supposed to be. In places that might seem so simple, we find the mystery of our Lord. A little bit later in worship, you will be holding the mystery of the Lord in your hands as he comes to you in bread and in wine. Simple and ordinary objects that provide profound and important and amazing things. The whole fullness of God comes to you to forgive your sins. And that, friends, is kind of the mystery of service. The God who spoke the universe into existence chooses to speak through you. Our hands become his hands. Our voices become his voice. Our love show his divine love. Like that insignificant backwater town of Bethlehem, you might think that nothing good can come out of there. And you might think the same about yourself. I'm just insignificant. There's nothing good about me. But the Lord cloaks himself and his glory in the ordinary. He does his best work with the weak and the weary, the lost and the lonely, the simple and the sincere with you and with me. God does this not only individually, but he also does this communally. He works through the collected hands and the voices and the deeds of this congregation to bring the light and the love of Jesus Christ to others. There are countless congregations around the world who do the same thing as the glory of God is wrapped in the ordinary. And in so doing, this congregation becomes the body of Christ, becomes the voice of Christ, the hands of Christ. And it's not just here in this place during a worship service. It's when all of you are scattered out into the world and into the workplace and into any place that you might come across. For we have a God who wraps his glory in the ordinary, in you and in me, so that this world that is focused on the brightest and the best might see the true brightest and best, Jesus Christ, their Savior. And in so doing, this congregation can serve passionately. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of the Christ child that came in such an unexpected way. Lord, you work with the the weak and the weary. You work with the, the ordinary and the mundane. 
Lord, for the times and the moments where we feel weak and weary, ordinary and mundane, Lord, remind us that you have chosen to work through us to bring your glory to the world so many might see your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. Just a reminder that this podcast will now be updated every Tuesday. A video archive of our online worship services, including today's message, can be found on our YouTube channel and at www.bethanylutheran.org. Links for both of these are in the show notes. If you would like to support this podcast or the ministry of Bethany Lutheran Church in Long Beach, California, you can text the word GIVE to 562-210-0463. That's GIVE, G-I-V-E, to 562-210-0463. Join us next week as we share a Christmas message with you.